Hi, I'm Brad Constantine, and this is a Come Follow Me podcast of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official podcast of the church, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. This year's study is the Book of Mormon. Each week, a new summary podcast of that week's Book of Mormon chapters will be released. But if you want a more detailed analysis of each individual chapter, those will also be available to listen to. I hope this Come Follow Me resource will be helpful to you. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified each week of a new episode. I hope you like this uh, format. Thank you. Hi, welcome back to the Come Follow Me Book of Mormon podcast. This lesson is going to be number six, and it will be covering Second uh, Nephi chapters one through five, and it will be for the period of February the third through the ninth. So I have a question at the beginning here. We're going to be getting uh, getting into Second Nephi. So why is there a First Nephi and a Second Nephi? Um, there's a couple reasons or possibilities anyway. First of all, uh, First Nephi is mostly doctrine with a story. And 2 Nephi is almost all doctrinal. 2 Nephi builds upon the foundation of 1 Nephi. And out of 2 Nephi, there are 33 chapters and only one has historical information. And that's chapter 5. The rest are pretty much doctrinal in nature. Besides testifying of Christ, 2 Nephi includes the following doctrines. The scattering and gathering of Israel, the great apostasy, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, and the restoration of the church the last days and the destruction of the wicked at the second coming, the plan of salvation and the redeeming power of Jesus Christ's atonement, the resurrection of all mankind, and finally Nephi teaches how obedience to the doctrine of Christ leads the Lord's disciples to eternal life. So that's kind of an overview of second Nephi. So let's get into some of the details here. First of all, with chapter one, uh, we're, we're also beginning uh, in these uh, next few chapters with some patriarchal blessings that Lehi will be giving to his sons and to the sons of Ishmael. And uh, oftentimes people have thought of this as kind of these chapters as being the patriarchal blessing for America. Uh, this is also uh, the land, or America is also the land of the gathering place for those of Ephraim. And then in Deuteronomy, it mentions that uh, those going into the promised land, that there are blessings on the land for obedience and cursings upon the land for disobedience. And that applies to America as well. All right, so let's go ahead and get into Second uh, Nephi chapter one. Um, first of all, um, this is uh, Nephi again talking about a vision that he has, uh, mentioning that that Jerusalem has been destroyed. Uh, this is Lehi talking that that uh, he sees that. Uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed. We know from historical um, records that that happened around 588 BC or so. Um, and so uh, that's, uh, if, if Lehi and his family had stayed there, they may have been destroyed or at least taken off uh, captive. So they were able to escape that. Uh, Lehi mentions that he's received a land of promise. Um, in verse five, uh, he says, the Lord has covenanted this land to me and my children forever. So this becomes the inheritance of the people of Lehi. Um, and also that means the, also the tribes of Joseph uh, through Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 7, he mentions that the land is consecrated to those whom he shall bring. And now this doesn't mean that everybody that comes into America is supposed to be here, uh, but that there are certain groups of people that have been brought here by the hand of God. Uh, we read before about the pilgrims and the Puritans, um, those that established this country. Uh, also were brought here. So by and large, uh, groups of people he brings 
but not necessarily individuals that uh, are inspired to come here. Uh, down to verse um, 9 and 10, he talks about the cursing or the blessing that will happen to those that live here, that they have to keep the commandments and believe in Christ, uh, or they will be swept off. Um, and then down into um, verse 15, he, Lehi is saying that he knows that his, uh, his soul has been redeemed. In other words, he's received his calling and election, made sure to know that he's assured eternal life. Uh, then let's go down to um, verse uh, 30. He gives a blessing to Zoram. He says, Thou art the servant of Laban, nevertheless thou hast been brought out of the land of Jerusalem. Wherefore, because thou hast been faithful, thy seed shall also be blessed upon this, uh, upon this land. And uh, that he is going to be receiving similar blessings to Nephi. This is showing how uh, Zoram is an example of how one can inherit eternal covenant blessings through faithfulness, even though one may not be born in the covenant, um, that because one has accepted the gospel and uh, adhered to the covenants that uh, they entered into, then they're entitled to all the blessings as though they had been born into the covenant. All right, let's go to um, chapter 2, 2 Nephi chapter 2. This is one of the best theological chapters in the Book of Mormon. It mentions the three pillar concepts uh, of the of the gospel, which are the creation, the fall, and the atonement. And so these are significant. This is a blessing given to uh, Lehi's firstborn in the wilderness, Jacob. And uh, he talks to him and gives him his blessings here. Um, verse 3, it says that uh, Lehi knows that his son uh, Jacob has been redeemed, which means that uh, He's also beheld the Savior. Uh, Jacob has also received his calling election made sure. Um, and notice that he mentions in verse 3, he says, I know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer. Notice that it's not our righteousness that saves us because we just can't be good enough. It's the, uh, it's the Savior's atonement that blesses us and that redeems us. Uh, even, even though we are required still to keep the commandments and do the very best we can, it's not our righteousness that will save us because we just can't be good enough. Uh, but it's the Savior's atonement. Uh, verse 5, uh, men are instructed to know good from evil, uh, and law is given. Uh, therefore, no, no flesh is justified by the law. Again, we can't keep the law all the time. Uh, the law is merciless. Uh, the law demands justice. And uh, by breaking one commandment, then we are outside the law and therefore have to be redeemed by, uh, by the Savior's atonement. We know that in verse 7, uh, it mentions that Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice. So he met the demands of justice, met the demands of the law on our behalf uh, through his atoning sacrifice. Verse 11 is significant doctrinal too, and that is that, it, that there must needs be an opposition in all things. Um, there is no virtue that can exist without its corresponding evil. Without the evil of danger, there could be no courage. Without suffering, there could be no sympathy. Without poverty, there could be no generosity and so forth. So there are these things that are necessary. Uh, were there no opposition, all things must remain a compound in one. Uh, as Millet McConkie said, imagine a world in which all things were the same color, were the same size, were, had the same function. A world in which one could neither have nor be without a world with neither sound nor silence, a world in which there was no beauty or lack of it, a world without love or hate, the sweet or the sour, virtue or vice. And that was uh, the condition prior to the fall. Um, 
verse 12, it mentions that uh, if, if it hadn't been for the fall, then uh, everything would have just been created for naught. There would have been no purpose in our being here. We couldn't even have come here had there been no fall. Um, verse 14 talks about uh, um, that all things were created, both heaven and earth, all things that in them are, both things to act and things to act to be acted upon. Uh, because we have agency, therefore we can act, and there are some things that, that, that are to be acted upon. Again, he reiterates in 15 about the opposition in all things. Um, and then in verse 16, it mentions that we have to be enticed by one or the other. Uh, we have to have this opposition in order for us to be able to choose and to make the right choices. Verse 18, then he talks about the fall. He says, because he had fallen, meaning uh, Lucifer had fallen from heaven and become miserable forever. He sought also the misery of all mankind. Uh, verse 19, and after Adam and Eve had partaken of the forbidden fruit, they were driven out of the garden to till the earth. And now we don't have a full account of what really happened in the, in the Garden of Eden. We know that uh, they, did, they did some transgression that caused the fall. As Joseph Filling McConkie says, the events associated with the Garden of Eden make it the archetype of our temples. Here Adam received the priesthood. Here Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. Here our first parents were eternally married by God himself. Here they learned of the tree of good and evil and of the tree of life. Here they were taught the law of sacrifice and clothed in garments of skin. And from there they ventured into the lone and dreary world that they and their posterity might prove themselves worthy to return again to the divine presence. Uh, and so that's the purpose of the fall is to get us to uh, return to the Garden of Eden, and we do that by going through the temple. Also, uh, in verse 21, the days of the children of men were prolonged so that we have time to repent, that this is a state of probation uh, for which we're here to uh, learn and, and gain experiences. And then as we make mistakes, we're supposed to repent of those. Um, and that uh, the eternal consequences of sin are postponed based on our opportunities to repent. Uh, verse 22 mentions that if Adam had not transgressed, he would have stayed in that condition. In other words, there was no mortal until after the transgression. That this immortal spirit came from another world is verily true. This is Joseph Fielding Smith who said, Just as it is true of each of us, for we all lived in the spirit existence before we came into the world. So uh, Adam and Eve were placed here upon the earth. They didn't evolve from some lower life forms into what what we are now, but that they were placed here on earth uh, to uh, be in the Garden of Eden to bring about mortality for the rest of us. Verse 25 mentions that if uh, that Adam fell, that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. And uh, then the atonement, it mentions in 26, the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time, uh, that he may redeem the children of Israel, uh, the children of men from the fall. Uh, and so the, atone, the, the creation, the fall, and the atonement are all mentioned here in, in uh, 2 Nephi chapter 2. Uh, down to verse 27, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man, and they are free to choose liberty and eternal life. And again, there is no forced righteousness. There is no forced wickedness. Everybody has an opportunity to make a choice, and uh, the choice is ours, and therefore we are accountable for the choices that we make. Verse 28 talks about looking to the great mediator, uh, the Savior, for our redemption. Uh, let's go on down to chapter 3. 
Uh, now, the chapter three now is a blessing that Lehi is giving to his son Joseph. Uh, this has great significance because he talks about not just Joseph, um, his son, but he also talks about Joseph who was sold into Egypt, that he's a descendant of Joseph sold into Egypt. Uh, if we skip down to uh, verse 5, it says, Joseph truly saw our day, meaning the, the Nephites and Lamanites, and he obtained a promise out of the fruit of his loins, the Lord would raise up a righteous branch. And that's talking about uh, Lehi's family. Down to verse 6, he says, he truly testified about a seer, shall the Lord God, Lord God raise up. And that's about Joseph Smith, uh, that he's a choice seer out of the fruit of his loins. Um, we know that that's... Uh, the prophet Joseph Smith, um, he says in verse 7, uh, A choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and he shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. Uh, verse 8, I will give unto him a commandment that he shall do none other work, save the work which I command him. Uh, he shall be great like Moses. Um, and then down in verse 12, Wherefore the fruit of thy loins shall write, uh, meaning that uh, out of the tribe of Joseph will come forth the Book of Mormon. Uh, verse 12 talks about the fruit of the loins of Judah, the Bible, and that uh, the Book of Mormon and the Bible will come forth, and the Book of Mormon will prove the truth of the Bible. Um, and verse 13, it says, out of weakness he shall be made strong. We know that Joseph Smith wasn't very well educated, but, um, but yet he was uh, given the power to translate. Uh, verse 15, his name shall be called after me, meaning Joseph. So his, this prophet or this seer is going to be named Joseph. He's going to be named after his own father, who was Joseph Smith Sr. Uh, so again, the prophecies about Joseph Smith are pretty explicit and very detailed here. Down to verse uh, 18, it says that he's going to have a spokesman. And we know that that was Oliver Cowdery at first. When Oliver Cowdery uh, left the church, then Sidney Rigdon became the spokesman for Joseph. Um, although Joseph did speak a lot, uh, he had spokesmen to speak for him as well. Uh, down to verse uh, 19, he mentions that the Book of Mormon is going to come forth um, and that uh, many generations will pass away and that uh, the word will come forth after that. Um, let's go down to um, chapter 3 or chapter 4. Uh, this is continuing. Um, Concerning Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, um, verse two, he says he only prof he truly prophesied concerning all his seed and he and his and the prophecies which he wrote. There are not many greater. Well, we don't have a whole lot of prophecies about Joseph, uh, but Joseph Smith restores them. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter fifty, the the inspired version of that, there's many verses that have been added that are the prophecies of Joseph. Uh, that were not uh, in our current Bibles, but what, that were added by Joseph Smith later. Uh, so Joseph, uh, or Lehi, has given his son Joseph here a blessing. Um, down to verse 9, he talks about, uh, 8 and 9, he talks about the blessings given to Laman and Lemuel, uh, that they will, that their, their children will also be blessed. Um, and then uh, he mentions, Nephi mentions in verse 15 about the small plates, that he's writing these things, uh, that they're going to, that they are going to have important things written on them. Um Verse 25 mentions that he has been carried away by the Spirit on occasion. Uh, this is also the psalm of Nephi is in here where he talks about uh, how sorry he is for his many sins. And I think his greatest sin is probably that he might have a short temper with his brothers. But uh, I think we can all relate to that. Uh, verse 34, he mentions that he's trusted in the Lord all his life. Uh, 
Let's go to chapter 5. Now, chapter 5, as I mentioned, is the only historical chapter in, in 2 Nephi. Uh, and we see a, a date change uh, at the heading of this. Um, so this uh, shows the changes here. Uh, now, this is uh, where Nephi uh, gets uh, prompted in verse 4 um, that his brothers are still seeking to take away his life. Uh, the Lord warns him that he needs to leave and depart with his uh, with those that can go with him. <clears throat> now, I want you to notice in verse 6 something here. It says, It came to pass that I, Nephi, did take my family and also Zoram and his family and Sam, my older brother, and his family and Jacob and Joseph, my younger brethren, and also my sisters. So how many sisters did Nephi have? Well, if there's plural there, he had at least two. But let's, uh, let's look at this a little closer now. Um, this is the only specific reference in the Book of Mormon that Nephi had sisters as well as brothers. How many sisters there were, whether they were older or younger than Nephi, or what their names may have been are questions not answered in our present Book of Mormon. However, the following statement by Erastus Snow may pr provide in information <clears throat> on some of the sisters of Nephi. The prophet Joseph informed us that the record of Lehi was contained on the 116 pages that were first translated and subsequently stolen, and of which an abridgment is given in the first book of Nephi, which is the record of Nephi individually, he himself being of the lineage of Manasseh, but that Ishmael was of the tribe of, of Ephraim, and that his sons married into Lehi's family, and Lehi's sons married Ishmael's daughters. The words that Ishmael's sons married into Lehi's family would seem to indicate that the two sons of Ishmael were married to Lehi's daughters and thus to two of the sisters of Nephi. However, the sisters referred to in 2 Nephi chapter 5-6 are evidently still other sisters because the sisters mentioned here follow Nephi when the schism with Laman occurs, whereas the sisters of Nephi who were married to the sons of Ishmael evidently stayed with their husbands and joined with Laman. So we know that Nephi had at least four sisters. Uh, we don't know if he had many, but you can think about um, back in the day, they didn't have birth control or stop their families when they reached a certain number of children. They just had children as they came. So it's unreasonable to think that there was a large gap between Nephi and Jacob. Um, there's about 14 or 15 years in between there that no children are mentioned. So maybe they had daughters in between. Uh, and then between Jacob and Joseph, maybe there were other children that were born, which were daughters. Uh, we don't know for sure how many they had. Uh, but we do believe that, that we know that he had at least four sisters uh, and maybe even more than that. Uh, it mentions in verse 10 that uh, they did observe to keep the judgments and statutes, which meant they lived the law, uh, the Mosaic law. Even though they held the Melchizedek priesthood, they, uh, they used uh, the priesthood for the sacrifices of the Mosaic law. Down into verse uh, 12, it mentions that, Le that Nephi takes with him the records, the plates of brass, the Leahona, and the sword of Laban. Um, in verse 14, he mentions the sword of Laban, and, and the, the brothers Laban and Lemuel are going to accuse Nephi of stealing these. And this is the kind of the same thing that the rest of the family mentions, uh, even generations later, that Nephi was a thief and stole these things. Verse 16, it mentions that they built a temple and that it was constructed pretty much after the manner of the Temple of Solomon. Although it wasn't made of as many uh, precious things, we know that it probably at least was the same size. We know that Solomon's temple was about 90 feet in length and 30 feet in width and height. 
Um, so maybe this was uh, the same dimensions that uh, Nephi builds the temple in the land of Nephi. We know that there's at least three temples mentioned among the Nephites. There's this one in the land of Nephi. There's one in Zarahemla, and there's one in Bountiful. We don't know if they had other temples, but we know that they had at least those three. Um, and so uh, they used uh, the temple for their worship. And, and when we get into uh, King Benjamin's discussion, uh, we know that they did that at the Temple of Bountiful, uh, very similar to um, when Jesus taught in the temple during his ministry. Um, anciently, they did the same thing. Um, so down into verse uh, 32 at the end of this, uh, Nephi's talking about the things that he's going to be engraving upon the plates. He says, these are those things which are pleasing unto God. And if my people are pleased with the things of God, they'll be pleased with mine engravings. Uh, if my people desire to know the more particular part of the history, then they can look at the other plates or the large plates of Nephi. I bear testimony of the truth of these things, that this is the doctrine of Christ. The gospel is being preached here and that uh, Nephi um, is, is uh, putting into the plates those things that are going to be of the most worth to those 